This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek in Ocala, Florida. And I am Sarah Evers-Conrad from Lexington, Kentucky, and you are listening to the monthly Horse Illustrated episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for October 26th. This is a special episode of Horses in the Morning every fourth Tuesday of the month, brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Good morning, Horse World. The fourth Tuesday of every month is all about your passion for horses. Nurture your knowledge with informative and entertaining interviews. Brought to you by Horse Illustrated Magazine. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning. We appreciate it. Uh, Sarah, so I heard that you were at Equitana because it's in your hometown. I mean, you live there, so... Yes, it was actually my first event since, uh, probably my first big event since the COVID hit, and it was great to get back out there. We ran into so many people that I knew, and the panels were great, and the demonstrations were great. We saw Shauna Koresh, who we wrote about you know, earlier this year, and a lot of different people, and actually two of our guests are from Aquatana. Oh, for, oh, yeah, who are we having on this episode? Well, on today's show, we will be talking to Emily and Sarah Harris of Sisters Horsing Around, natural horsemanship trainer Colton Woods, and Stephen Latham, producer and co-director of the Mustangs America's Wild Horses. Terrific. I, I, I'm excited about that. Now, you uh, said, well, I know you got to meet a lot of people that you haven't seen in a long time because you live in Lexington. And that's that's what happens when you live there, is you head mm-hmm. out to events like this and you see your neighbors and people from far away, too. What was the highlight of Equitana for you? I don't know. I really enjoyed Shauna's demonstration. And she had these two young horses out um and she was doing these exercises to send the horse between her and the owner and, you know, just taking a young horse and just pointing. And then the horse goes and, you know, jumps over a little rail and, you know, it, horses only do what they want to do. And he just looked like he was having a blast. And that's kind of the power of um, positive reinforcement training, which I think is really cool. And I never got to try it when I had a horse. So, you know, I was telling Holly, our editor, recently that I wish I had a horse right now just to play with, you know, and just to experiment with and try new things. So that was really neat. And Colton did a great job with his demonstration. We did several uh, Facebook Lives, and our story is on horseillustrated.com, uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes. And the story was written by Liz Moyer, who was is the former editor of Horse Illustrated, and then I took a bunch of photos and did several Facebook Live interviews, and of course you can get to links for those. I'll put those in the article as well, and you know hopefully people will go back and look at our our coverage. Well, and I wanted to mention too. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Shauna has a show on our network called yes. Equine Clicker One Hundred and One, and you can go back and if you're going to try Equine Clicker One Hundred and One, all about positive reinforcement and clicker training, go to episode one and start from episode one because it, he she does it very much in order, and it's completely different than any other podcast out there in that. You actually go work with your horse while she's talking to you in your ears. So it is a lesson, and she talks you through each lesson while you're with your horse. So it's completely different than anything we've done before. Now you just need to talk her into doing a, a dog podcast because, you know, I, I started out using a little positive reinforcement training with my dog when he was a puppy, and he learned to roll over in, like, no time at all and just learned a few things and then Life got busy and I kind of dropped it, but <laughs> sorry, Sean. <laughs> well, I think you could do everything that she does with horses pretty much with dogs, too. Uh, I know. I just need, need I mean, to she did it with, uh, you know, sea animals. So, I mean, if you can teach a whale, uh, I think you can teach you can teach your dog. 
And I used to live about 10 minutes from SeaWorld, and that was like the place to go work. And everybody wanted to work with the dolphins and the whales and things like that. And I still wanted to do that in high school, but you had to work there a certain number of years before you could do that. And I knew I was going away to college, so that didn't work out. But so she's, I've lived vicariously through her stories. There you go. <laughs> well, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that it is Halloween week. Now, it's my least favorite week of the year because I hate Halloween. But you guys over at uh, Horse Illustrated have a Halloween contest going on. Yes, we just launched it and uh, the week before now. And we it's, it's a horse theme, but... So you can send in a photo of a horse in a Halloween costume or a jack-o'-lantern with a horse Halloween theme or maybe some decorations at the barn that are Halloween-ish. And uh, if people want to find the contest, they can go to horseillustrated.com slash 2021 hyphen Halloween hyphen contest. And we'll make sure to put that link because it's kind of long in the show notes as well. So if you want to find that, you can always go to horseillustrated.com slash podcast and click on this episodes. And where can they, or um, how long do they have to enter? Can they, is it all this week? Well, or? Yes. October 31st, end of the day is the deadline. So make sure you enter and the prize. Yes. The prize is important too, um, is a subscription to horse illustrated. And then we're going to take the, some of the, like the winning entry, which it's, uh, pulling a name out of a hat type of deal. So, you know, everybody has a chance to win and we're going to post some of our favorite pictures and things like that on social media and on the website. Also, my last reminder is for people to stay tuned to find out more about our special offer from Horse Illustrated just for podcast listeners. And then we'll have that in the middle of the show. Also, this episode is brought to you by title sponsor, Straight Arrow Products. The magic and cowboy magic comes from the bond between you and your horse. Cowboy Magic celebrates every moment with you, from quiet chats in the pasture to the adrenaline rush of competition. We want to invite you to embrace your magic moment with your horse by sharing your favorite photos with Cowboy Magic on social media using hashtag CowboyMagicMoment. Our first guest I am so excited about because their energy at Equitana and just talking to them is amazing. Our first guests are Emily and Sarah Harris, the sister duo of Sisters Horsing Around, which has a mission of providing fun, engaging, and educational content on horses. These equestrian guides want to help non-equestrians explore the amazing world of horses and help equestrians broaden their interests in different disciplines through their content on their website YouTube, and on social media. Well, welcome, Emily and Sarah. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having us. Hi. I saw the two of you during Ecotana, where you represented the U.S. Pony Clubs, and you all had several sessions. And you all seem to be really gaining momentum since starting your website in 2018. Uh, but first, why don't we tell our listeners a little bit about what made you all want to start sisters horsing around. Emily, do you want to take that one? Yes, we have. Thank you. So the seed for sisters horsing around actually was planted several years before we started. Back when we first got our first horse and I think it was like 2012 for Sarah's eighth birth birthday, we our mom had sat us down and she told us that we were really blessed to have horses in our lives and she wanted us to provide an opportunity for others to get into the sport and into the equestrian world. And so we really took that to heart and we, over the years, we tried to think of ways to do just that. And in 2018, sisters just, sisters horsing around just came together. Sarah, did you ever anticipate becoming this force in your own right within the horse industry? Because, you know, I have to tell you, when I was at Equitana, I had like three people tell me, have you met Sisters Horsing Around? And of course, I didn't get to meet you all in person because like after your panel, I turned around and everybody had scattered. But um, you, everybody just was talking about you and there was all this buzz about you. And, you know, you're getting to represent places like U.S. Pony Clubs, organizations like U.S. Pony Clubs and do all these demos. Did you ever anticipate this? 
Um, I actually didn't. I mean, when we first got into the horse world, all I really wanted to do was ride. <laughs> and that's all I ever thought about was riding, drawing horses and just being around them. But I guess as I got older, my goals kind of like, you know, shifted a little bit. And I guess my expectation, my expectations of, you know, how I wanted my life to go kind of changed a little bit too. So this has definitely not been something I expected to happen at all. And I'm, I'm so honored that people, you know, would say stuff like that because I mean, I just, sometimes I feel like, you know, little old me and <laughs> when people say stuff like that, it's really like, wow, that's, that's really exciting. So Emily, what do you think's contributed to kind of the growth in the buzz around sisters horsing around and how have things changed for you all in the past three years with, you know, the, the very beginning when you're just putting up the YouTube channel and your site and, and then on to now. Um, definitely the people that we have met and the support system that we have in our family would have never expected for Sister Sourcing Around to have gone the direction it has when we first started. Because when we look back at our videos, <laughs> we cringe sometimes. We're like, oh my goodness. But it's, it's definitely when we, we started we really had a heart to just get others into the sport and to get into the horse world because horses are so incredible and they're amazing and they enrich your life in so many ways and they have enriched our lives and we just wanted to bring more people into the sport. And as the years have gone by, we just met so many amazing people. I mean, when you, the first year we met Laura Graves and Wow. At a dressage clinic. And it was so incredible. And then the next year it was Stacia Klein Madden. And oh my goodness, we're friends with her now. And she is just, oh, such a sweet person. And we love her. And people with other brands like Bar Manager and Horse Rookie. And it's just, it's, it's really an amazing experience. And I'm so thankful for our family that have been able to be there with us and help us through definitely they have been a support and encouraged system for us well i'm thankful for your mom too you know shout out to your mom because giving you that mission of sharing the love of horses and you know trying to bring new people into the sport i think we all want to do that because you know we want this the industry to grow and thrive and you know if you're a horse person and you love it so much you know it's a pretty easy thing to share uh sarah what do you what do you all want to most accomplish with sisters horsing around in the future? So in the future, our goal is to continue to build on our mission of being the bridging the gap between the question world and the not a question world and being the guides for non-horse people and for people who are entering the horse world. Because one thing is when we first entered the horse world, we didn't have, we weren't, we didn't have any horse relations and any people who were into horses and we were like, you know, where do we get started? So we wanted to be what we didn't have for other people. So our goal is to just build on that mission and build a better interactive website and keep continuing um, growing our content. So when you meet people that have never been around horses and they don't ha really have access to horses, what is your piece of advice that on how to get started? So our biggest piece of advice would be invest in horse books because when we first got into the horse world, our mom bought us a boatload of horse books and <laughs> That's how we got started, basically. We just read horse books, and Emily is a bookworm, so she definitely <laughs> took that opportunity, and she just read, read, and read. Like, she read so many horse books. All this serious stuff about horses, I am actually on your website, and I'm looking at, and I'm a pony guy. I have a hackney pony, and I, I've always had ponies. And then I see Promise in here, and Emily, tell me about Promise. Okay, so Travis is, well, I'll say she's a little bit different with me than she is with Sarah because she loves me. As a matter of fact, she actually picked me as her person, 
when we first got ponies her, do that <laughs> they're very opinionated <laughs> they are very opinionated and so it, it makes me feel a little special extra special because i'm like oh this horse picked me i didn't have to just say <laughs> hey this is my horse don't mess with her until like establish this bond or something she just picked me and um she prefers me over sarah <laughs> and it's quite funny because the way we got her there was really we don't have much history on her we got her from one of our dad's co-workers and they didn't know anything about horses themselves they just had this pony dropped off at their place and didn't even know whether or not she was a girl or boy so we had to find out all of that when we picked her up <laughs> and it was it was quite funny and when we got her home we was like okay so now she needs a name it took us i think over a month to come up with a name for her and promise just seems to fit i love that She's so actually cute. Y'all are very good at names um, with the horses. I like a lot of them, Blazing Wildfire and Bold Faith. And, you know, <laughs> I'm starting to see a theme with like the faith and promise and high hopes and amazing grace. But I also think it's interesting. You have seven horses. You told me you had seven dogs and there's seven people in your family. So I wish you lots of luck in the future with all those sevens. <laughs> but thank you all but the, we definitely have to give credit to our mom because she's the she's the name generator in the family and she has definitely helped come up with a lot of the names for our animals well the most recent ones you got okay so kind of this is the unofficial like, mustang episode for the horse illustrated episode of horses in the morning because okay so you all just adopted three mustangs and i wanted to talk about that but the our next guest he's competed in the extreme Mustang makeover and has a Mustang. Wow. And then our last guest is the, he is involved with the Mustangs film, the Mustangs America's wild horses. So somehow we ended up with a Mustang wow. theme, but how, how is it going with training your Mustangs? I know you've been featuring that journey a little bit on your social media and blog. Do you want to um, Having the Mustangs has been really cool and exciting. This has been a lifelong dream for us to have Mustangs. I mean, we grew up watching Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. We watched, um, I think it was 100 Horses, Wild Ride, Wild Horses, Wild Ride. That's right. And it was just like something that we always wanted to do. And this year rolled around and we were like, you know, Let's just do it, you know. Let's let's yeah. just uh, let's just jump in feet first. I know. I actually told Sarah uh, around Christmas of 2020 that I was like, "We're going to get a Mustang next year," and she's like, "Are you sure we're going to able to do it this year?" I was like, "Yes, we're going to do it." And once 2021 came along, we had some bumps along the roads because I ended up sustain um, getting two concussions and I was still adamant about getting those Mustangs and I prayed about it. I was like, God, you're going to have to do something because I don't know how I'm going to how to be able to take care of the Mustangs, get through physical therapy for my concussions. And also I had the goal to go to Pony Club Champs this year. And that was like, it was one thing back to back. It was a concussion, then champs, then the Mustangs. And I was like, God, you're going to have to do something. And he was, he worked it out. Well, horses are a great motivator to make you want to get better. So yes, yeah. speaking of pony clubs, so Emily, you've already, well, both of you have served in leadership positions with U.S. Pony Clubs. Do you anticipate trying for other leadership positions with any organizations to affect change? Or are you all mostly focusing on like hands-on horses for now with your training? Oh, I would love to in the definitely in the future and even now. For example, right now with the, I'm a national youth board delegate for Pony Club, and I'm hoping to put in for the NYB chair that is their elections is coming up soon. So I'm hoping for that. I'm so excited. Um, also with other organizations, I would love to, we have met some really amazing people that are also leaders in these different organizations like Miss Vicki Lowell and some other people. And they're just so amazing. Well, I think the horse industry is always you know, looking for people that have the passion you all do and the energy. So 
I, I think you all will go far with anything you do. And why don't you tell our audience how everybody can find you and where they should tune in to your content. So we have, if they follow us, our sister Instagram, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, and we just recently got a TikTok account. <laughs> We're not TikTok, you know, masters, <laughs> but we just started. And they can find us on our YouTube channel um, at Sisters Twisting Around. And we have a website at um, www.sisterswistingaround.com. Well, guys, I, I have to say that uh, I'm very impressed with everything you've done here so far. And Sarah uh, shared a little bit of the email that you sent and how excited you were to be on the show today because of your relationship to the magazine that she works for. That was actually one of the first magazines that we ever got. Like, my our mom, she got us a ton of horse books, like we said, and magazines and Horse Illustrated was my favorite when I was younger because it is still a favorite now because it had so many pictures <laughs> and I was the kind of kid who just wanted to look at the pictures. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh my goodness, the horses are so pretty. I just read it and I read it and I looked at the pictures all the time. Like I would take them up to my room and then I'd come back downstairs the next day and they would be torn up because I just sat all night looking at the pictures, <laughs> which was a bummer for me because because I loved the information. She was the, the picture person. I was the information person. So whenever I got the magazine, the covers would be off. There would be missing pages. And I thought, <laughs> oh, man, I should have got the magazine first. <laughs> That's funny. Well, thank you so much both for joining us. We really appreciate it. We'll put the links. Uh, we'll put the links to both of them, the sisters horsing around in our uh, show notes. So you'll find them right there on your podcast players. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you so much for Thanks. having us. It's an honor and a pleasure. With Cowboy Magic's Green Spot Remover, you can do more of what you love and spend less time in the wash stall. Cut bath time in half with this waterless shampoo for a quick grooming solution while saving water at your barn. It's easy to use sprayer bottle is the perfect tool when you need a quick clean before the show or before a leisurely ride. Green Spot Remover is a plant-based waterless formula that is safe to use in all coats, not just for grays. The natural enzymes will remove manure and urine spots without drying out the skin and coat. The best part is it only takes a few easy steps to use. Learn more about how to use and where to purchase at cowboymagic.com. Com. That's CowboyMagic.com and look for the Green Spot Remover. And here it is, our special offer for our podcast listeners. We have special rates posted on the Horse Illustrated website for magazine subscriptions in any format. Whether you want print, digital, or a combo subscription of both print and digital. Plus, if you'd like to get our sister publication for a special kid in your life... We also offer special rates on Young Rider Magazine, which is the horse magazine for tweens and teens ages 8 to 15. So check out our website at horseillustrated.com slash HRN for special rates designed for our podcast listeners. And I have to add that I noticed that a few of the auditors had already taken advantage of that. And so that was always so thrilling to see that people are subscribing and enjoying the magazine oh, and giving testimonials. Yay. So thanks to the auditors. Good for you guys. Terrific. Our second guest is Stephen Latham, producer and co-director for the Mustangs, America's Wild Horses. He also created and produces the award-winning series Shelter Me, which uses celebrity hosts to tell stories that celebrate the human-animal bond. Stephen began his production company with a film series he created with Barbara Streisand called The Living Century, which focused on people who were at least 100 years old. He also produced and directed for the science series Nova and made the only film about the TED conference. Well, to kick us off, I just want to know how did the idea for this film come about and why was this film important for you to do? Wild horses, right? I mean, it's it's a topic that um, I I found in, incredibly compelling. But um, when I sort of started doing my research and telling people that, hey, I'm thinking about this project, what really cemented it for me was people were like, wait, there's there's still wild horses in America, 
And, and that was intriguing to me. Um, but the whole story began uh, when a friend of mine told me that you need to go and uh, meet this group in Southern California that is working with um, veterans and wild horses. And, and that was intriguing to me. And I, and I went and started doing my research about wild horses and then talking to people um, in the government that manage the horses and talking to activists. And it, when you do a project like this, you talk to a ton of people to start figuring out the story. But it all began when somebody told me about an organization that paired up veterans and Mustangs. Well, it's a complicated story because there's so many different facets to it. I mean, you all, you dealt with the the sanctuaries and then the darting group and the, you know, the roundups and the adoptions, and the extreme Mustang makeovers and all that. Obviously, dealing with the overpopulation of the Mustangs is a huge problem. Probably not one with just one solution. Do you think the BLM will ever start using a variety of solutions for the various herd management areas, or will they continue on just trying to do the same solution with the roundups? Well, first up, I'm really glad that you acknowledge that it's a complicated uh, subject matter because it, it is, and that's part of the reason why we are where we are today. And, you know, what you see a lot with previous films is that, you know, you have the voice of people trying to do it as sort of advocacy films, or they try to simplify the subject matter by saying, um, let them all run free. There's plenty of land out there. There's plenty of, you know, uh, public lands for it. And it's, it's not, it's not as, as simple as that. And that's what we try to lay out. We try to, first of all, we, we wanted to make this film incredibly fun and exciting and feel like an American adventure that we're going to take you to all these places to see wild horses, to learn a little bit about the past, learn how we got to where we are today, but also highlight the challenges that wild horses face. Um, and, and along the way, we're going to meet some people that are really, um, you know, love Mustangs and are doing something um, about it, as you, as you said, you know, with sanctuaries and people that are working with fertility control and all these elements. But the fact of the matter is we are at a place right now where there's almost 90,000 wild horses on the range, just on the um, public lands, you know, the, the lands that you and I, that we all own, the horses and the land that we own, that we're not really told about this, but we own this. Um, but the thing about when people say, well, there's, there's hundreds of millions of acres, you know, of acres of public land, but, but then you have to, they say, well, the wild horses are on specific elements of our public lands they are called herd management areas, HMAs. Um, and there's about 177 of those on 10 Western states. And that, that comprises about 11% of all of the public lands. So that one, what I just said is something that's often um, left out of the conversation when people say, well, there's so much land that we can just let them be free because there's a federal law that is dictate that dictates how things are run. It, it's we're, we're on the 50th anniversary in December of the 1971 wild horse and burrow act. Oh, wow. So just laying that foundation to sort of say, okay, well, the government in the seventies said that there should be around 27,000 wild horses on these herd management areas. And we're currently approaching 90,000. And what are the challenges? Well, there's lots of challenges. First of all, the fed, you know, this, this public land is, is shared land. It's not just for wild horses. It's for, um, you know, ranching has lease rights for, for cattle, for grazing rights there. It's used for recreation and for mining and for hunting. So, um, these wild horses are stuck in the middle of a government bureaucracy and that's part of the problem. So you have at the very top, the department of the interior underneath that you have the Bureau of land management, the BLM. And then within the BLM, you have the wild horse and burrow program. So you have the feds and then you have the states that are then managing the wild horses. And to be honest with you, this, this story is really a story of mismanagement, not management. Um, because we have done so much to, um, well, we say we, we revere the wild horse and it's the icon of freedom and it represents what American values are about. However, we took the wild horse from in 1900 when there were about 2 million of them in the West 
and we almost made them extinct by the 1940s when there were only 10,000 left because we, um, when we had no, no, you know, we no longer had a use for wild horses because of the advent and cars and, and, you know, more urban lifestyles. And, and even though the wild horse is our partner, you know, hand, hand in hoof, they've been with us to help build this country. Um, you know, we decided that the better use for them was to turn them into dog food and we almost made them extinct. And, and that's where a lot of work that led to the 1971 act that said, no, we're going to, we're going to stop this. We're going to stop um, this from going extinct. But when you revere a symbol and you don't necessarily do the work to protect the wild horse, that's the problem. And that's where we are right now. So it's sort of my long way to get to your you know, to the answer to your question is what is the government, what is the BLM going to do moving forward? So, you know, right now, the, the way that they, the BLM has been managing the wild horse situation is tragically, they've been doing the same thing for decades. Population swells, they use helicopters, they round them up, and then they put them into short-term holding where people can adopt them for literally $25 and they're paying people $1,000 incentives to adopt them. Um, then they don't necessarily do what's needed, which is one of the things that we show in the film, which is uh, fertility control, using a vaccine um, yes. on the mares um, that really you know, tries to drop the, the population because everybody wants the same thing for the most part, which is keeping wild horses free and on our public lands, but we have to manage their population growth because one of the side effects of you know, of, of livestock on our public lands is that in the early 1900s, we got rid of all the natural predators. Um, you know, the mountain lions, the wolves, the ones that used to help, you know, kind of keep the herds of wild horses in check. But we got rid of them because they were, you can't have them eating the sheep and eating the cows. So now they kind of grow and populate and repopulate unabated. Um, but if you're not doing fertility control and you're just rounding them up, the, you're, you're not really changing the trajectory of what's happening. And now we've got drought. We've got the mega drought, which is real. And it has an impact on forage and it has an impact on water. And also you have, you know, the livestock on, on the shared land as well, which is competing for the uh, grazing rights. So it is really complicated. A lot of people try to romanticize it and just say, let them be free. What we wanted to do was to, um, you know, put, put an accurate, film out there so there's a solid foundation to elevate the conversation about wild horses so we can all work together for better solutions very telling in the film with when one of the speakers had made the comment that you know the blm has been doing the same thing for 40 years and you know just kind of keep going on and on do you know if the government is even studying the problem and seeking out solutions from the horse industry and other experts or do you think it's on the back burner right now? So the, there's no question that the government is, is having active conversations about this. Um, I mean, I know for certain that, um, that the scientists and um, some activists are in the room with the decision makers, um, ultimately, you know, ultimately speaking with members of Congress, which has oversight over the Bureau of Land Management to make sure that they implement um, sustainable management practices. So, but the big difference is talking, uh, talking and doing, right? Which is like, kind of like in, anything in life, <laughs> which is talking about it and actually doing it. So they're very aware and ac actually have already appropriated um, some funding to scale fertility control, doing, you know, more of the um, it's called PZP, which is the vaccine that's used on the mares. Um, and there's other elements as well that, you know, there's a lot of research being done on longer lasting fertility control and there's other um, fertility controls that, that is being used. But the vaccine is the one that has been utilized for over 30 years, um, not just in wild horses, but in other species is incredibly safe and incredibly mm -hmm effective over 90% efficacy. So it's not, I mean, other people say, oh, well, you know, the fertility control do not use that because it's, um, it can, it can affect their hormones and their genetic selection and all that. But, but the fact of the matter is um, this, and we spoke to a lot of the scientists about this, that the uh, PZP vaccine is um, safe, effective. It does not change the hormonal aspects. So they still have the same behavior elements when they're in the wild 
And because of the efficacy rate, it, it's really, um, it, it, it works, bottom line. Um, the challenge is, um, is that the current vaccine um, that you, you give, you, you, it's administered by a, um, like a, a dart gun, a rifle that shoots a dart. It doesn't hurt. You, you literally shoot it and the dart will hit in the, um, the hip of the mare and then the dart falls out and then you pick up the dart. And, but the challenge is you have to give booster shots. So you give the first dart, you have to have impeccable records on the range. Then two weeks later, you need to give another booster and then you have to do it annually after that. The big benefit of this is that it's reversible, meaning if you stop giving the vaccine, um, you can really manage the population if it's done, you know, um, diligently. Um, and there are challenges because there are some um, herds that you can get closer to because you need to be about 40 yards away. Um, but the harder to reach areas are, you know, there's still solutions about doing that, meaning you can still do bait trapping, dart them and release them. Um, and just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. So, yes, the BLM and members of Congress are talking about this. Um, in my opinion, um, they should be so much further ahead on implementing this. Um, I think you will see that in the coming years. Um, but they're doing it a little bit more. There's right now we're, we're in the middle of really large roundups. Like they, they did... The BLM did a big roundup of the Anakee herd in Utah, a really big roundup of the Sandwash Basin herd in northwest Colorado, and they are um, rounding up about 70% of the uh, wild horses in Wyoming. Um, about 3,500 wild horses are being rounded up in Wyoming. Um, so the numbers are huge that they're rounding up, and they're not doing a fertility control um, at the same time that is going to have a huge impact. They are now in all fairness, some of the mares are being darted and released after they've been rounded up. But again, it's just not a really large scale to have impact. Um, so we're, we're still in a, in a situation of um, it's not being implemented properly and, and enough. And that is a big thing. So I'm hoping that the film raises awareness and that the public gets involved. And, um, and again, by elevating the conversation, not just saying, let them be free and stop the roundup. Because, you know, when you talk about the things that I mentioned earlier about because of the drought, because of um, sometimes in some areas, you do need to do emergency roundups because of lack of forage and lack of water, not in all cases. And, but there's a, a real tricky thing happening right now because um, there are real issues about um, the impact of livestock on, on these, herd management areas, these HMAs, um, and that competition for forage. But the big question that I want people to be left with is what do we collectively want to do with our wild horses? These are symbols of freedom. They've been here for hundreds of years, um, but dating back to the 1500s. And what are we going to do? And I don't think that question has been answered and we don't, we don't, you know, pretend to know the answer in the film, but we do show, um, you know, the horses on the range. We do show people working with them. We do show sanctuary. We do show fertility control. We do show a whole bunch of things. And we just want people to be aware of this issue because um, a lot of times if you're not involved in the democratic process, things, the decisions being made now will impact this issue for years to come. Um, and just whether it's this issue or another issue that you care about, People need to be reminded that your voice matters and that democracy is not uh, a spectator sport. Stephen, you said this so well, I mean, probably better than anybody said it on the show. And this ball has been kicked down the field for years. I mean, for tens of years. It, it's something and everybody doesn't want to see any of this happening, but nobody really comes up with the great solution. And I don't know if there is one. You know, I don't know. I don't, you know, everybody, half the people were objecting to, to doing the sterilizations, right? Uh, you know, it's just been, we've been doing this show for 11 years, and the same topics that you just brought up have been talked about for 11 years. Nothing has changed. Number one, there is no silver bullet. There absolutely is not. Um, but um, there are solutions at hand uh, in the sense of um, that 
by doing scaling fertility control just has to be part of the solution. And it's not, it's not sterilization. Um, it, it's more of the, you know, of the vaccine at this point, yeah. it's the, you know, with the scientists. That I, I got you, but the, that, that is the term that the yeah. naysayers use, right? I mean, that's yes, yeah. well, exactly. And, and, you know, and, you know, the, the problem with, you know, the naysayers, uh, and the way that they have, you know, weaponized misinformation is they, they have an agenda. And that's what we wanted to stay away from with this film. This film is not an advocacy film. You know, we wanted right. you guys can speak. You guys saw it. You, you can talk. You don't say what you thought about it. But it's it's not an advocacy film. It's it's super fun and amazing. And you're going to fall in love with these horses. And you're also yeah. And the photography is um, is unbelievable, it. right? I mean, that's yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, and part of what we wanted to do with the film is as we as the story unfolded for us we wanted to have that be that the way we felt uh, for the audience, the way they, they experience this. So when you see wild horses in Wyoming, we took a trainer from Texas who's been training Mustangs for 10 years and she'd never been to the wild and saw a wild horse on the range. So we took her to Wyoming to see where her horse came from. So when she sees wild horses for the first time is when the audience sees it. So, you know, that's the sort of immersive experience that we tried doing with this film. But, Mm -hmm. um, but Glenn, what you said about, decade after decade. So part of, um, you know, part of having this managed, the wild horses managed under the Bureau of Land Management is right off the bat, there's conflict in the sense that they're also managing for gas and oil and mineral rights. They're also managing for recreation. They're also managing for hunting. They're also managing for other wildlife, the sage grouse, you know, birds, all that. And then you know, and then you have, and then the millions of cattle too. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so that, you know, it's like, well, what of all those things, what is the one thing that doesn't make any money? (laughs) It's the wild (laughs) horse. And so, you know, a case can be made that, you know, wild horses should be managed by a different organization even. But, but again, this is where I try to tell people of, that you have to work within the system and this, this and, and government moves really slowly. And, and a lot of people are stuck in this sort of wish economy. They wish things were different. They wish it was this way. And the, the fact of the matter is I'm speaking to all groups because I want to be, you know, help, you know, with this conversation. And what happens a lot of the time is, you know, people just get so mad and so frustrated that the activists start, you know, yelling and screaming and they're saying, well, just stop the roundups and they can't stand it anymore. I mean, who, who does like the roundups? I mean, nobody does, but there's, there's, it, we're getting to a kind of an untenable situation because at 90,000, um, if you're not getting fertility control, that number you, we show it in the film, it keeps growing and growing and growing. And yet a lot of the activists, they don't seem to acknowledge that that's, potentially a problem that they're going to exhaust their resources regardless of if livestock are on these these you know herd management areas so so you so using that information is kind of say well there's so much land out there there's plenty of land don't round them up when when the public comes into this and hears this issue you always fall in love with the wild horse and then you're like oh my god this is so terrible and then they start trying to vilify the bureau of land management bottom line is government is messy and especially when you deal with, um, you know, you have the, the federal law, but a lot of the herd management areas are governed, or at least the decisions being made right now are being made state by state because no herd management area is the same. So there's, there's just inherently a problem. And also, there's not a lot of, you know, it's much easier to go with the status quo. And that's why a lot of times in government, you have inertia of not, not much happening because who within government or who within the Bureau of Land Management wants to stick their neck out when, I mean, I'll just, I'll be honest, I'll just say it because I don't, this isn't, this isn't controversial. A lot of people are looking forward to their pension. Well, so and it's a no win for them. Pension? I'm glad you actually gave them a little bit of credit. I know we pick on them and, and we all do, but it's no win for them. No matter who they side with, they're pissing off a bunch of others. So, you know, because there's yeah. activists in, in, in all of these fields, right? In the, all the different angles. Yeah, yeah, all the different angles have activists, and no matter what they do, they're making somebody mad. Somebody's mad. I was just going to say, one thing that stuck out uh, for me was when 
the thought that it really needs to be managed per area, like per her management area. And so obviously more than one solution and hopefully they'll get there. But honestly, like you did such a beautiful job, like educating on all the different angles because even as a journalist and an editor, and I've been hearing about this issue for, well, decades now uh, as well. And there were th- there was so much still I learned and kind of got an overall view of everything all at once. Um, were there any solutions that weren't in the film that might, you know, that you just didn't have time to present or anything like that? Or is it all kind of laid out for people? Well, you know, I'll, if you don't mind, can I circle back real quick to uh, about the BLM? Sure. So, so, you know, so the, the BLM, so I've spoken to a lot of people at the Bureau of Land Management and, 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 the, and there are people that, you know, in the actual in offices and people that are on the ground level that are, you know, in, in these, you know, short term holding facilities. And so I've met some incredible people. I mean, people that absolutely, you know, love and cherish these wild horses. They're not the decision makers in a lot of cases, but they, you know, they take such good care of them. So, you know, there's, you know, so a lot of times, you know, the individuals get, you know, really um, pilloried and, and people and, and, you know, and they get attacked and attacked. Um, and what we're trying to do here is, is that, you know, in, in some cases, I think there's, you know, there's been problems because a lot of times the, there's been inter- these, a lot of the um, leadership has have been interim positions, so they really didn't have any power. Um, and again, about that no-win situation, not sticking your neck out, leads to some of the problems. Now, we do have a new head of the Department of Interior. We do now have a just confirmed, like a couple weeks ago, head of Bureau of Land Management. Um, there's still an interim person who is in charge of the Wild Horse and Borough Program. But, you know, there's potential. So there, there's, you know, there's it's not all doom and gloom. And that's ultimately what we, um, you know, we wanted to show in this film because we really believe that, you know, change, change really does come from, um, in my opinion, from inspiration and not desperation. And, and, and a lot of times, you know, people are always just like, you know, it's, it's, it's over, you know, it's over for the wild horses. It's over. And, and I don't think that's the case yet. I do think there's a lot of work to be done and again, um, people's voices really do need to be heard. Now, in terms of other solutions, um, you know, I keep coming back. Well, there's, there's a couple of things, and I think we address most of it in the film. But, but one of the things is that we didn't get too deep into um, the livestock issue because that's like a whole separate. Yeah, that's a you could spend a whole film on that. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So, but but I think I think um, I think that things need to be looked at hard in this issue because with drought, with climate change, with all of these things, it's real. I mean, ask people, um, you know, ecologists on the ground, they're looking at water tables. And again, the activists never talk about the water table, the soil health Mm -hmm. and all the things that are, are needed. So, you know, ultimately at, you know, we're governed in the, from the 1970s by this, uh, that Congress had come up with this, they kind of made it up to be honest with you, like how many horses should be allowed on our public lands. And it's called um, each herd management areas. It's called, again, it sounds like a little bit of alphabet soup, but it's called AML, which is appropriate management level. And that means that's the low end of how many horses should be on each area. Now each, you know, state when they're deciding what, how they're managing, you know, the, the wild horses can go above that number, but it, you know, I'm not seeing right now that it's being evaluated too strongly on a case by case basis because it's again, you know, right now the in my opinion, uh the roundups are are pretty aggressive. And um I've been a, I've got to be honest, I'm a little surprised by it there. It seems like a little bit of an overreach like okay, well we're out there, we got the helicopters, we got the corrals, let's just take a bunch right now. And I think there's a midpoint of Let's take a little bit less if we have to do it again next year, but let's do fertility control. And I don't think the BLM is doing themselves any favor by doing these gigantic roundups because, um, you know, it's hard to change public opinion back when it looks like they're not listening. And they're, all right, they're all right Stephen, let's not give and, too much away. Let, let's let people go watch the movie. <laughs> so, <laughs> how can they do that? Yeah. 
so we're right now, you know, we're, so we're doing a theatrical run um, and we're, um, you know, so we're in select theaters. I mean, all of our information is posted in two places on our website, okay. themustangsfilm.com and facebook.com slash themustangsfilm. Um, and the good news is we are available on a lot of the, the uh, video on demand platforms um, come towards the end of the year. So we'll be on iTunes, Amazon, and all those places, and you'll be able to, if you want to, you know, give a gift as a Blu-ray, all of that information we post on our site. So, so right now it, it's in a few, it, it's in select theaters across the country, and you'll soon, before the end of the year, you'll be able to see it on all of your favorite, um, uh, you know, rental platforms. All right, sounds good. Well, I, you know, this is a pr- we could talk all day about this. Uh, you know, obviously, you guys probably <laughs> shot millions of hours of footage to put this together, uh, and you had some really no name partners in this: Robert Redford, and you know, <laughs> some, some, <laughs> some people who nobody's ever heard of. You know, Bruce Springsteen and <laughs> Willie Nelson. Nobody's ever heard of any of them. So definitely go check it out. It's the MustangsFilm dot com. One last question: Give me a very short answer. Did you ever? Ever think you would know this much about Mustangs? Never, and I'm, I'm better for it um, because I because I do now. That's a perfect answer. Thanks a bunch. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It was really great speaking with you guys. Coming up with our final guest is a guy who actually has a Mustang or two and has trained him over the years, but that's not the focus of our conversation. And that's Colton Woods of Colton Woods Horsemanship. He is a horseman, he's an entrepreneur, he's a fellow podcaster, he's also a business mentor, uh, he, he's a clinician, he does expos, pretty much does everything. Hi, Colton. Hey, Glenn, thanks for having me. Of course, I'm a podcaster for a long time, as you know, and so uh, I gotta know, uh, what have you learned doing your podcast? It's called The Heart of Horsemanship. Yeah, so our podcast, I think the, one of the biggest things I've learned is uh, how powerful connecting with people through audio is there's so many horse people are so busy we're going to the barn we're trying to get back to the house take care of the kids and so many people are willing to listen to that content while they're you know picking their horses stall or going out for a ride and it's just been a wonderful way to keep connecting with more and more horse people while they're on the go versus we don't have that luxury when you're depending on video so often Welcome to our world, Colton. <laughs> That's the reason we've been doing this for 12 years, is that, is that reason right there. Uh, so let me ask you, we, we, already, we just came off of a whole conversation about Mustangs, and I almost feel like we should talk comedy for a while, but I really wanted to ask you something that uh, I wanted to ask, I've been wanting to ask this for a while of somebody of your stature. Tell us a couple of things you would like to see in the horse industry as a whole to keep it viable. We, you know, we are under attack in the horse world by a number of outside sources, some disciplines more than others, right? Um, but what do you want to see overall in the horse industry? What do you want to see us do better as a whole? That's a really big question, but I think it's one that we definitely need to tackle um, as industry leaders or industry participants or anyone that enjoys spending their time with horses because we certainly are on different fronts under attack and that's nothing to that's nothing that we can turn a blind eye to um and one of the biggest things that i see particularly there's a couple things uh one would be making sure that we are bringing up and offering the opportunity and structure for to provide the opportunity for young people or aspiring professionals to be able to become true horsemen and women that will be able to be highly effective, not just with, can they ride a horse, but do, can they be horsemen? Can they be horsewomen? And can they be business owners? So those people that want to be professionals, making sure that there's so many good horse trainers out there that are phenomenal with a, with a horse, but can they teach that to somebody else? And of course, that's not everyone's skill set. But one thing we do know is as we teach other people, we ourselves have a better understanding and a more in-depth understanding of what we're doing, which only benefits our horses. But we also have to teach. Uh, I don't want to, it's not even just to the younger aspiring professionals. This is for people that are, have established businesses and that we need to be able to take control and say, Hey, this is how we make our living. And that we need to be able to treat our businesses like businesses and actually build a livelihood that's sustainable that we can build a lifestyle to where we can spend time with our family, take our uh, family on vacation, be able to do the things we want to do in our daily lifestyles 
while still being able to do a career in horses. And a lot of times that... Oh, Colton, you and I both know, I'm going to interrupt you, because you and I both know that as a whole, in the past, horse people have not been good business people. It's the reason that I have three or four shows on the network that are all about business and marketing and all of that is because as a whole, you know, we love doing the horse part, but boy, I'll get around to the books next year when I have to do my taxes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to hear you say that because it is, if we're going to keep doing this, we have to do it better. 100%. Absolutely. I mean, there's the thing is, and I put a post up on this on our social media and it got quite a bit of traction just here this last week. And it was that I think we need to recognize that as from a professional admiring our clients, appreciating our clients. And that's something we can talk about is like, do we really need clients or do we need students? Um, I think that that's something that needs to change in the industry, too, is that as professionals, we need to bring more people into our barns as students, not just as transactional clients. Mm. And that demo that completely shifts the type of relationship that we have with our now students because that's a whole different demographic that where people because right now let's be honest right there's a lot of people that will go they'll go to a trainer they'll spend their money when the trainer tells them something they don't want to hear they'll hop to the next barn that'll tell them and that's but that's always been true right i mean you know i i married into this 35 years ago and that was happening back then and it's a lot of it's a lot of pandering, but I think that the ecosystem now that we've created is is a pretty soft deal because there's fewer and fewer. And I, I'm I'll admit, like I'm 28, like so it's not like I'm like I'm fairly early in the industry by industry standards. But I think that we have to look at the fact of what the longevity is of the people that we're bringing through the through our barns and saying, hey, are we really creating solid foundations not just in our horses but also within our students and the the future professionals of the industry. And that means that they know how to train a horse. Like every horse trainer needs how to should know how to start a colt and bring them through the foundation stages. Every trainer should have a training horse application to where they understand that not every client is for them and not every trainer is for every client. And so you have a process of how you bring people in your barn and every trainer should then have these processes that they where they can effectively market their business and they can run their business and do exactly what you just said, Clint, which is making sure that they're not just doing their books right in, in March before April taxes are due. Well, and I, you know, I think a lot of them have no idea how much money they really make or not. You know, they don't, they don't pay attention to a lot of that. But I, I'm going back to one of the things you said because it's been a conversation. It seems like what's coming up on the show today is things that we've been talking about for 12 years and haven't changed a lot. One of the things mm. that I think has changed over this show for the last 12 years is we do see more and more teenagers coming into barns where everything is done for them. They get on the horse, they ride, they get off. There's I. It appears now, that could be wrong about this, that there's less barn rats than there used to be. And I I say that in a good way, you know, that I'm not making fun of them. We had our own barn rats in our barn, and they learned how to do everything, from cleaning stalls to to doing everything right, and to being horsemen as opposed to just riders. And I think that's that's the distinguishing factor. Are you a horseman or are you a rider? Oh, there's a big 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 distinguishing there and there's nothing wrong with you know being a rider necessarily i just think that we have to understand what the difference is and understand that we still need horsemen and women within the industry for the future longevity because like you said when we when we led this off right that there's several attacks on the front of being involved in the horse industry and we need people that are in it for the for the long haul and in order to make that possible there's so much that we all can learn from people that have been in the industry 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. And we need to take all those lessons learned so we don't repeat the same mistakes that might have happened in the past, but also realize that we can't die by the sword of tradition. And this is the way we've always done things because that's the quickest way to get nowhere. And we can look at it now with what trainers are charging for prices. Many people are charging the same amount of money that they'd be getting in the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s. And the cost of a truck has doubled. Mm-hmm. And and it's just not, we have to really realize that, that trainers can make, they're valuable. They provide a very valuable service for the horses and the owners of those horses. And they, I, I, what I really try to do is to build some confidence through different curriculums and different systems that we have to where people can be confident. They can charge more money for their services because they're providing the value. It's not like you're provi- charging more money and not providing the value. Like you're providing a tremendous amount of service 
and value and experience for these clients, and therefore you should be compensated for it. You're, you've done something different, though, than a lot of other trainers that have come up through the years, and, and this is probably due to your age, to be honest. Um, you have, you've taken a bunch of different avenues. You know, when I said you're a clinician, and you're a podcaster, and you also do courses and all of that, you're doing all of that at the age of 28, when a lot of trainers have been around a long time and haven't, they've counted on just doing what they've always done, and it, it, being as good as it ever was. And that's not true anymore because there's guys like out, you out there that are doing everything. Yeah. And it's, I, I like to try a lot of different things because I learn from all of those different experiences, whether it's having a podcast, running a YouTube channel. Um, but it's also how do I run my lesson program or how do I bring clients into my ecosystem? When people call me, how do I interact with my clients? Because there's a lot of problems that no matter what the discipline you're involved in, we all run into, which is sometimes as trainers, we have to be very, time is money. And we have to run a very structured schedule if we're running quite a few horses through our barns. And that means that we have to make sure we have good boundaries with our clients because any good relationship has good boundaries. (laughs) And we have to be able to instill those certain things. And I mean, the thing is, uh, I have approached my business quite differently because I I didn't grow up in the horse industry. I didn't really start riding until I was 19. And I found a purpose by working with rescue horses, actually. And those horses needed an education because they didn't have an education. They ended up in a bad spot, which was at that. They found a soft landing at the rescue. But before that, they had found themselves, you know, fighting for their lives. And I saw the purpose, the deep founded purpose of those horses needing a really solid education because I didn't come to the industry until later in life, I had to work, I've had to work tremendously hard and very fast to develop my horsemanship skills to provide a great quality product or experience for my clients. But the thing is my, my business foundation comes from growing up with a family that I had, which was international business and actually got to live overseas in mainland China for two years. And I, I just grew up in a different ecosystem. So when it came to building my horse training business, I approached it like it was a business and I didn't get caught up too much. I didn't know what the traditional stigmas were. There were really broken models of running a business that exist in the horse industry. So to me, it's second nature, but I empathize with the old school models within their businesses, but it doesn't mean that we can't change it. I think that's one of the things you've done really well is, um, you know, do have such diversity and whatnot. I'm going to switch tracks a little bit. You talk about your rescue horses and I know this has kind of ended up our kind of unofficial Mustang episode because our first guest had adopted three Mustangs. And then Hmm. of course you've done the extreme Mustang makeover. And then we talked with the guy from the film, the Mustangs and, uh, I know you've done the Extreme Mustang makeover a few times. What have you learned from Mustangs that you might not have learned from other breeds? Or do you think the experience is different working with like a Mustang? So if you understand horse psychology, working with Mustangs is pretty straightforward. That doesn't mean that it's easy, but it's fairly simple in the fact that everything that they're going to do is in the name of their self-preservation. Their reactions to what we would ask them to do or to what we would be doing near them would be probably way more elaborate and exaggerated because they're, they're thinking I might die. Um, and they understand what those real pressures feel like. So with the Mustangs, they've been a really good opportunity for me to not only help a horse get a second chance, kind of get out of holding and be able to live a very fulfilled life in a loving home. But they've also given me the opportunity to develop my horsemanship and build my business and brand. The the Mustang Makeover Challenges have been phenomenal for my business in the sense that you get a lot of exposure. You get a great experience of getting into a show pen with a a community around you that's extremely supportive. So it's a little different than sometimes going to your other uh, breed or discipline type shows where it's a little more cutthroat. These Mustang deals are very serious. I mean, there's a lot of money. This this week, we're going through the New Jersey virtual show. And there's $40,000 on the line for the adult division. So it's not like you're competing for just a touch of money. But you, you still get to compete for good money. You can make a good 
I wouldn't say you can make a living, but you can do really well in these competitions and make it very much a solid return on your investment. And you can build a brand, build awareness about your training programs, and you can learn and develop your own horsemanship tremendously. This is the third one I've done. And every single one that I've done, I've learned so, so, so much about my horses and myself. Through all your experimentation with training and business and, you know, all the different things you've tried, what do you think has been your favorite thing to do? Is it is it speaking as a clinician? Is it training horses? Is it working with your clients? So with the Mustangs. as I've developed, as, as this whole path has come together, basically over the last 10 years or so, um, I've always been on a path because I've wanted to help as many people and as many horses as possible. I mean, our, our mission statement, mission statement for our company is to educate horses and people with a lifetime in mind. And so if it's not serving that purpose and that mission, I'm not usually putting a whole lot of, um, investing a whole lot of energy and effort and resources into it. And as I've built a bigger brand, as I've become more educated, as I have a higher level of skill sets, um, I've always enjoyed helping people with their horses because those people can go help more people and more horses. And so today, what I really love doing and what we're doing is through our school, which is the Professional Horseman School, which is for up and coming aspiring horse trainers that want to not just learn the horse training side, but also the business side. And we also have a business mentorship that's specifically business mentorship for horse trainers. And I love working with other professionals because they get to touch the lives of their students, their, their clients, their horses. And it's a great way to make a big ripple effect within the industry and really positively impact a lot of people's lives and the horses lives. So that's, I love working with as many people as possible, but right now we're really focused on helping other professionals. Well, we are plain run out of time today, Colton. Where can people find all of your stuff? Absolutely. So we are on all your platforms, uh, whether it's TikTok, YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram. It's all Colton Woods Horsemanship. You can find our website, which is Colton Woods Horsemanship as well. And anyone can feel free to send us an email, send us a message on social. We'll be there to get in touch with you guys. What state are you in, by the way? We're in Kentucky. Oh, you're in Kentucky? He's in my area. Oh, yeah? What yeah. part of Kentucky? We're just right outside Lexington, about 20 minutes from the horse park. Oh, perfect. That's great. You know, I was expecting Texas, because everybody says Texas or Oklahoma. Or, you know, let's, let's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're a little further east. <laughs> well, thanks, Colton. We appreciate you being on. Hey, Glenn, Thank thanks you. so much for the opportunity. Look forward to talking to you all soon. Well, that was a great interview with Colton, and he is actually not new for Horse Illustrated. One of our freelance writers used him in an article as a source about giving advice on how to calm a nervous horse, and that was in our June 2020 issue. That article is now online. We'll put a link in the show notes, but if anybody wants to remember it, it's horseillustrated.com slash calm hyphen a hyphen nervous hyphen horse. So... Also, we want to thank our sponsors, our title sponsor, the Straight Arrow Family of Brands, makers of mane and tail, cowboy magic, and exhibitors with over 100 years of grooming excellence. For more information about your favorite products, please visit straightarrowinc.com and find their products at a tech shop near you. Also, Horse Illustrated can be found at horseillustrated.com. You can find the links to today's guests and a lot of terrific guests today. Good job, Sarah. Uh, you can find those in the show notes at horseinthemorning.com or at horseillustrated.com slash podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning and all the Horse Radio Network shows. I think there's 21 of them now. You can find that at horseradionetwork.com. And go to your app store and search for Horse Radio Network to find our own app. A lot of people download it every day. And I know we have a lot of listeners that listen at the Horse Radio Network. Network app. All our shows are right on there. Well, thanks, Sarah, and we'll see you again next month. Happy reading and riding. 